The Expats is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Find out more at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I should also tell you that the series finale of The Expats starts with a two-part episode, the first of which comes out on March 26th. It's been an amazing three years of hearing stories of Canadians living abroad, but it's time for me to focus my energy on other projects. To those of you who've listened, you have my heartfelt thanks. To those of you I've interviewed, thank you for sharing your stories. If you're sad, happy, introspective, or just want to reach out and tell me about your listening experience with the expats, please email info at expatspodcast.ca, hit me up on Twitter at expatspodcast or at bingofuel, or leave a comment on our Facebook page. If you're a fan of The Little Mermaid and you haven't been to Copenhagen yet, you're missing out. The bronze statue, not of Ariel from Disney, mind you, is on display at the Langelinje Promenade in the Danish capital, and it's one of dozens of world-famous pieces of public art that Copenhagen has on display. The Tivoli Gardens, Frederick's Church, the Opera House, National Gallery, and museums galore are all available for the curious tourist or expat. Copenhagen is an ancient city rich with history, starting about a thousand years ago when it was first settled, most likely as a fishing village. Today, Copenhagen is known as a world city, filled to the brim with commuter cyclists and slim, fit Danes. Any connection to the famous pastry is not apparent in the physiques of the people who live here. Join me as I chat with a Canadian expat living near Copenhagen, who's very happy to be immersed in the cycling culture of Denmark on the expats. Welcome to the Expats. I'm your host, Adam Rosenhart, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Stephanie Robeck Simonson thought the idea of moving to Denmark sounded fine and that she'd have plenty of time to process the notion. Reality was quick to show her she'd be moving sooner than she thought. I married a Danish man. Yeah, we met in graduate school, so we lived in London for a few years together, and then, uh, yeah, he was a bit homesick and he asked if he could extend his job search back to Denmark. I thought, well, you know, that's fair if eventually you find something. And in three weeks, he got a full-time permanent <laughs> job and moved to Denmark. And then 16 months later, I followed him. So I've been here since January. 16 months? That's a long time. Yeah, I felt kind of like, uh, you know, these stories that I've heard from my family immigrating to Canada where, you know, my great-grandfather left Poland not realizing he had left his wife behind pregnant and when she showed up he had a three-year-old daughter he hadn't met uh, so yeah um, it wasn't quite that extreme of course we visited a bit in between but uh, yeah it was a real whirlwind uh, when he left and then I had to tie up all of my loose ends in Canada before was, I could move. Was when he brought up the the idea that he was feeling homesick and wanted to conduct this job search was that a difficult conversation to have or or i mean you were you were together was it pretty straightforward 
Well, it was a bit complicated in that um, he was he had finished his PhD in American literature, and I wasn't interested in moving to the U.S. I have a lot of American friends. I think the U.S. is a fantastic place, but um, I was a little concerned about the social safety net there, and so. I also, I guess, wasn't really interested in the idea of moving to a place where we weren't close to his family or my family, yeah. very close to my family. So it seemed like a fair compromise. But to be honest, when we initially had the conversation, I thought we were talking two or three years down the road. <laughs> I never thought it would happen so quickly and thought, oh, well, by the time we buy a house, we put down more roofs, it's probably never going to happen. And then when I was really confronted with the possibility... Um, it was, I think, a bit of a difficult decision because I'm very close to my family, like I said, but, um, you know, it is an adventure for us to come on together. And it was um, with some hesitation, but I'm comfortable with the decision I made now. Well, that's good because you're there. You're stuck there now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I always could come back. It's not totally, but it'd be very complicated to come back. Uh, so, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm glad I'm happy to. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you would mention the, the idea of a social safety net because uh, as I understand it, most Scandinavian countries and Nordic countries, they're pretty good about that, aren't they? They are. I mean, I've always felt very lucky to be a Canadian um, because I've grown up with a lot of privileges. Um, but coming here, I mean, it's sort of strange when you sign up uh, for your alien ID card <laughs> in your first week in Copenhagen. You are also given a list of doctors to choose from. And that becomes your family doctor. And I haven't had a family doctor since I was a child because mine retired and was never replaced. And so, and there are no family doctors in London, Ontario, where I was living. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that I've grown up and lived in Canada, which is, you know, one of the most privileged countries in the world, and I've actually moved to a country where there's more is kind of surreal, actually. Yeah. I mean, we, I feel like we brag a lot about our healthcare system, but it is certainly not perfect. And I mean, I go to the doctor when I need to go to the doctor, but the idea of having a family doctor is, it still seems kind of weird for Canadians, I think. I think so as well. I mean, right now, um, you know, my husband and I have been married for a couple of years. So I think, oh, you know, maybe we'll start a family. We're not sure what we're going to do. Um, but what's interesting with that, I mean, the idea of like, oh, I could go see a family doctor to talk about best steps just as, you know, uh, precautionary best practice method is so strange to me because, you know, in Canada, I'd have to go to a walk-in clinic and you don't go to a walk-in clinic unless you're sick. You're probably going to get sick if you go to the walk-in clinic, right? So yeah, sort of, it's a really nice thing. Um, but then I have all sorts of new anxiety, like what if I can't communicate that well with my doctor and, you know, what if standards of healthcare are different there and, or here, I'm here. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just don't click with my doctor because there are different assumptions about healthcare. I'm nervous and I don't know how to make an appointment with my doctor. My husband has to help me with that. So it's sort of strange to be a bit more helpless as well. So it's like all of these resources are there, but I'm not entirely sure how to connect with them. So that's got its own layer of frustrations. Yeah, for sure. You, you mentioned the communication thing. Are you taking classes to learn Danish? I am. Uh, when I first came to Denmark in January, I had to wait about a month before I could enroll. Um, not because of, um, you know, how long it took for my benefits to come into account or into effect, but because uh, I wanted to take intensive classes because I was unemployed at that point. And so I took intensive classes until I got a full-time job. And then now I'm just taking 
night classes one night a week, and then I take online grammar lessons that supplement that. So I'm uh, in my third module out of five. Uh, I've just started the third, so I'm 40% fluent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I took three months off because I came home to visit in the summer. Um, So yeah, that's about five months of Danish study got me that far. And is it uh, is it a very different language from English or whatever you're used to? Uh, it is. Yes, it sounds very different. I don't know if uh, you ever heard any Danish, um, but uh, my go-to example is uh, the word for turtle is uh, skilpel, uh, which has three D's in it. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's S-K-I-L-D, which means shield. And uh, P-A-D-D-E-R, which I think might mean lizard. <laughs> so it's like a shield lizard. Um, but yeah, skill pill. Uh, they have this sound they call the soft D. Uh, and it makes that really strange sort of sound between an L and a T-H. And I mean, the first two weeks of my Danish class, we're just learning how to make these new sounds. <laughs> yeah. is a work in progress. So yeah, I mean, that's challenging. Um, but I mean, you you can get used to anything, really. I mean, I, then I think, well, how much harder would it be if I were learning a language like Arabic or, you know, Mandarin or Cantonese where, like, I the alphabets or Russian, you know, where I don't even have the visual connection. So it's difficult, but it could be a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And, and uh, is is Copenhagen a, the kind of – it sounds like a world city. There, there's there got to be English speakers there, too. So I would assume it's not, like, totally – impossible to get to find your way around no i mean they have excellent english in copenhagen i think i've heard that uh, amsterdam kind of gives us a run for our money in terms of the most fluent uh european country but yeah i mean i've never in the city of copenhagen gone into a place and started speaking english and had someone not understand me mm-hmm. but my husband and i live um about 10 kilometers outside of the city and in my town i mean lots of people don't speak english so once you're outside of Copenhagen, it's a little bit more anything goes. Um, and to be honest, it, actually, it's more likely just Danish goes. <laughs> so I have lots of opportunities to practice. Um, but at work, I speak in English. And at home, I speak in English. And I can speak English in Copenhagen. So it's not so difficult. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, you you managed to find a job. How complicated was the job search for, for you? Well, I had a lot of advantages because, of course, my husband is... Uh, Danish, and so he kind of helped me navigate the system that way. Um, but I actually, there's a, a site here called Job Index. I don't know if it's in Canada or not. Um, but yeah, we can search for jobs. And I basically just applied for everything within my skill set that was written in English. Because there are job ads written in English. And then I think, well, that's a tacit invitation that <laughs> at least they're somewhat interested in someone who can speak English. And uh, I'm very lucky that I got the job I did. I work for an NGO, a Danish NGO, as an English copywriter. So oh. that's kind of well suited to my skill set. Um, and then they sponsored me because uh, the immigration rules are such here that I don't really have any advantages being married to a Dane uh, to immigrate. So it was really nice to get the job that way. Um, but they have to pay money. So, you know, I think it's really difficult for a lot of immigrants to get work here because they're more expensive than hiring a Danish person. And there's a lot of nationalism like national pride here where I think they'd prefer to hire a Dane because Danes know how Danes work and so on. Yeah. So. I was, I was reading some, uh, some news articles about the, um, refugees that are coming into Germany who can't, for whatever reason, 
find a way to settle down in Germany. There seems to be a lot of concern that those people will go north to Denmark. Um, how do how do Danes view uh, immigrants? You know, generally speaking, and and I guess in this specific situation, based on what you know, I mean, it's that's um I can't really speak for all Danes. I mean, I'm very mm-hmm. um, insulated with very progressive Danes because most people I know are academics and they're fairly progressive people. They live in the city, you know, and they're they're yeah, I'd say have more of a Canadian mindset. Um, but I think beyond that bubble that I get to live in, I think there are a lot of problems with attitudes towards immigrants, uh, in the Danish, the current Danish government. Um, we have a minister of integration, uh, and she, you know, confiscated jewelry from refugees for them to quote unquote pay their way. There was, there've been a few scandals. Um, do you remember when the, the, all the attacks came about with the Charlie Hebdo, um, images well one of them was designed by a danish artist and she just decided to tweet a couple of weeks ago that that picture is the screensaver on her ipad oh boy yeah so i mean she's and i mean that's a the popular party and i mean so again you have this sort of rural urban divide that's quite classic a bit of an age divide Uh, but as a canadian i find it very uncomfortable that there's so much mainstream (laughs) negative conversation surrounding immigrants because it's much more severe than it is back in Canada. Like we haven't got it all figured out, but you realize how multicultural we are when you're in a very closed society. Do you have any insight into how Canadians are perceived generally by, by the Danish people? I think quite positively. I mean, everyone I tell that I'm Canadian, it's very positive. I mean, I moved here uh, in a time when there's a lot of very open negativity or criticism towards the U.S. I mean, uh, Donald Trump is not popular in Europe, uh, definitely not in Denmark. And so I think as soon as I identify as a Canadian, I'm also just automatically identifying as a North American who isn't an American. And unfortunately, um, I I think it's unfortunate because I think it's not entirely fair to our neighbors to the South. Um, But I think I get a lot of benefit uh, from Trudeau, for example, like they love Trudeau and right away they want to talk about him and is he as great as he seems? He seems so progressive and great. And is it true that, you know, um, you took in this many thousand refugees and whatever else, and they're quite intrigued by our generosity. So all these things that on the home front in Canada can be controversial abroad, they think we've got it all figured out and that we're really nice. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of cool, actually. I feel very welcomed as a Canadian, but they don't know anything about us. They yeah. think we're kind of just like, not American, but beyond that, maybe they know about uh, syrup, maple syrup. <laughs> <laughs> that comes up a lot. Yeah. Uh, and Trudeau. That those are the only two things they seem to know. And like, but then like they don't know Trudeau's dad was a prime minister. Yeah. So like, they have a very limited window into who he is for us as well. Well, I mean, we're we're so far apart geographically, and I, I mean, I, I don't know about Danish Canadian relations, but. You know, that that phrase is not top of mind when we talk about Canada in a sort of geopolitical sense. So, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, though, I don't know. I feel like uh, there's a, a social continuity in terms of what we value and um, trying to sort of be progressive. Like, I, I'd say there's a cultural exchange that's quite easy between the two in some mm. ways. But then in other ways, of course, I feel radically other when I'm here as a Canadian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the the cultural differences that you've experienced. Was there a kind of culture shock when you when you arrived in Copenhagen? A little bit, yeah. I mean, there's you know all the little things from you know when you flip a light switch, you have to flip it up to turn it off. To you know, uh, which is it's sort of weird for me. It took some time to get used to, or the fact that you don't have shower stalls or bathtubs here. You just your whole bathroom is your shower stall. What? Um, yeah, there's just a faucet coming out of the wall, um, like the, and so like you can put a curtain in between. But I mean, in Copenhagen, when you have really tiny bathrooms that are maybe like five square meters, if that. Um, Basically, you have to take the toilet paper out of the room <laughs> and everything because the whole room just gets wet and that's all the drain. So the fact that you have to have a shower and then squeegee down the walls and everything afterwards because it's your whole bathroom, like wow. things like that were very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there are other things that are, of course, um, really cool. Like we cycle everywhere. Uh, I really like riding my bike in the cities here and um, there's a lot of good quality produce and stuff like that. So... But the thing that really weighed on me to answer your question about it wasn't culture shock. It was sort of like a cultural leg where I was really happy and thinking like, oh, this is an idyllic European existence. And after two or three months, the um, uniformity or the homogeneity of Danish society actually started to feel like it had a weight on me. So the fact that everyone kind of wears the same outfits and all the girls have the same kind of bikes and everyone kind of looks the same and they all celebrate holidays the same way. It's it started to feel almost like I was in like the Stepford wives or something. <laughs> like they have a really nice society, but it's like, you know, punch in, you know, at the beginning of the day for your perfectly Danish life and punch out at the end of the day. It was sort of, I think I was shocked at how much I miss Canadian diversity. Yeah. Being a, you know, a, a white woman who lived like grew up in a small town who then taught admittedly at a, a community college that was fairly diverse in London, Ontario, but, you know, we're not all the same. Even if you're not, you know, from a, a completely, you know, different cultural group. I mean, Canada's diverse, and it is not here. Everyone is just Danish. Maybe Swedish, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly just Danish, yeah. We're going to take just a quick break, so I can tell you about our show sponsor today, Edmonton Community Foundation. Edmonton Community Foundation has spent years building strong relationships with donors, charities, volunteers, and community leaders. These relationships help them identify trends and priority needs in the city of Edmonton. They also help the foundation provide the right resources to the right people, projects, and places. Whether you're looking for a student grant, funding for your charity's latest project, or a trusted place to donate, Edmonton Community Foundation has what you need. After all, connecting people is what they do best. Find out more about the grants they offer at ecfoundation.org slash grants. And now, on with the show. Do you, do you see a lot of people of color in Copenhagen? Or, the t sorry, the town you're living in as well? The town I'm living in, uh, oh, maybe a little bit. There's a bit of an immigrant population um, up the road from us. So every once in a while, I'll see someone who's a visible minority. But it's pretty rare. Um, they're, yeah, the guys who own the pizza shop below us, they're Turkish, and there are quite a few um, Turkish people uh, living in Denmark. But in Copenhagen itself, um, it's largely segregated into the northwest borough of the city. 
you kind of go under this bridge and then all of a sudden you're in this area where it's like, oh, everyone who's a minority lives here. Oh. <laughs> That's sort of um, different. <laughs> yeah. In that, like, I'm I'm not used to that. You know, of course, you have Chinatown in Toronto or, you know, um, you know, Roncesvalles or something or Cabbage Town. Like, you have areas that are known for being more dominated by one ethnicity. But here it's like, it almost feels like segregation. So the people are there, but they're all kind of in one neighborhood. So if you don't go to that neighborhood on a trip to Copenhagen, you're not going to see a lot of people who aren't looking stereotypically Danish. Yeah. You mentioned uh, cycling. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's something that is starting to happen in Canadian cities. And Edmonton and Calgary mm-hmm. are trying to build these cycling networks. And of course, everyone who has a car and likes driving fast <laughs> and getting places quickly is super pissed about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but tell me a little bit about the bike culture there. Do bikes outnumber uh, motor vehicles? Uh, I don't know the exact numbers on that, so I, I'm not sure. I mean, you do see cars driving into the city, um, but I mean, when I drive or ride, I should say my bike into work in the morning, I have a 10-kilometer bike ride, and uh, the closer I get into the city, the more dense it gets, but I mean, at rush hour, I'm in a pack of 12 to 30 bicycles at any given time on my bike ride, and once you're in the city, I mean, you see bikes lined up, I mean, three wide, you know, maybe... 10 back for every red light, you know, as you go through. So, I mean, cyclists dominate in that sense. Absolutely. And then there's a lot of public transit, like public transit here is really good. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, you don't see that many drivers, Um, not in Copenhagen. Once you go to the West part of the country, Jutland, uh, then yeah, you're going to see more cars, I expect. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, a phenomenal experience being with that many cyclists, but I get really competitive on the bike lanes. Uh, and that's the only thing I find is, is it's a little weird because, you know, you'll pass somebody and then they'll pass you with the next red light or when you're stopped, they'll inch in front of you. I'm like, I just passed you. Why do I have to do this dance with you again? Uh, so that's a bit weird. Um, and then other people who are like really geared up uh, and then they just, they go like lightning. They're like biking at like 30, 35 kilometers an hour. Wow. The whole way in. Yeah. And it's pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, like in my work, I would say 80% of people bike to work. Um, where when I worked at the community college in London, Ontario, um, we had a huge bike lockup and maybe there were five or six bikes in it at a given point and there were like 500 full-time faculty and that many non-full-time faculty and you think like out of a thousand people 10 are biking it's like nothing it's really weird so yeah i love the cycling culture here it's really cool but no one wears helmets or it's very rare to see people wear helmets and i find that weird so yeah yeah. that is kind of strange certainly something we're not used to here although i do i do you know in the conversations i've had with canadians feel like we're a little obsessed with safety if you want to yeah, <laughs> it's just it seems to be like this weird, um, this weird hang up that we have that other other places don't. Well, I think I notice even with children here, I mean, playgrounds here are more like the playgrounds I grew up with in the 80s and 90s, where, you know, yes, yeah, stuff's made out of wood. And there are things kids could fall off of or hit their head on and somehow they're fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree that they're less safety conscious here. Like they use car seats for their kids and stuff, but I mean, most kids just sit on the back of their parents' bike and they're not wearing a helmet. Huh, interesting. Oh, so, yeah, it's that's different. 
Are there a lot of, um, are, are there any or a lot of obese people in Denmark? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you ask that. So like I, um, oh, whatever, I mean, I'll just be direct. I mean, I'm, I'm not a lean person. I'm sort of average in Canada and here I, I had to buy extra large man's rain pants to bike in. And they're not like really that loose, uh, to be honest. It's, yeah. Um, so, and I mean, I actually have a hard time finding clothes here because people are so lean and so small. Hmm. Um, yeah. But it, it kind of actually answers this question because uh, we have vanity sizing in North America, right? And so I always thought it was weird that I wear the same size that my mom did at my age, but my mom was a lot smaller than me. And uh, the reason is that just that sizing has changed. So, hmm. um, yeah, anybody who's not really body confident should avoid going clothes shopping while they're in Denmark. <laughs> um, you know, because it's, uh, yeah, people here are very lean. Like my mother-in-law, I think, is maybe a size two, and that's normal in your 60s. Wow. Like, yeah. But then everyone rides their bike until they, like, literally physically can't. And uh, portions are smaller. And, uh, yeah, they eat a lot of bread. Really? But it's this, like, yeah, but it's this, like, unleavened, that thin, dark rye bread. Yeah. That's called rupal. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's pretty healthy. Um, but that's mostly what they eat. And, yeah, I think it's the lifestyle. I know everyone says that about the European lifestyle. But, and their genes. Because, again, they're all Danish, right? So, I mean, yeah. there's not a lot of, uh, I mean, I'll be tainting the gene pool maybe at some <laughs> point. But, they're they're pretty naturally lean too, I think. You mentioned the the some of the food. Um, was that an adjustment for you? It is in that. Um, so my husband's a vegan and I'm a vegetarian. So of course, to some extent, you know, we always have a bit of a weird relationship to food wherever we are compared to the mainstream. But uh, it's pretty much unaffordable to eat out here, or it's got to be a special occasion. So we went from two, you know, like professors who very often ordered pizza or Thai food or whatever once or twice a week to like maybe once a month we'll go out and get something. Um, so that's really changed. Um, but I haven't experienced a lot of the really like shocking cultural things like eating curried herring, which is like fluorescent yellow and herring and people like it and kids like it. And I don't understand, but I don't have to eat it because I don't eat fish. <laughs> so um, I'm often relieved to be a vegetarian in Denmark. Yeah. Actually. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you, uh, th this, this adventure that you're on, we'll call it. Um, I don't want to say that it was sort of thrust upon you, but it happened quickly. You were a little <laughs> taken by surprise, let's say. What advice would you give to other Canadians who may be considering an expat experience or who don't know yet that they're about to experience an expat experience? <laughs> Um, I think the biggest thing for me has been that, um, it's really useful to just prioritize the relationships that will change and to put the effort into the relationships that you know, you really want to keep and keep them, um, going because that's not only good for you to, to keep in touch with people who matter to you and stay connected to your culture, but in that sense, it's an anchor, um, when, you are in a new environment and you feel outside of the norms, it's really powerful to then just be able to call home and be able to talk to somebody and feel normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, I would say really 
make a strategy on how to stay in touch with, you know, whether it's friends or family, so that you you keep that sort of umbilical cord back to your home culture. Um, because for me, it's been a lifesaver. Um, every time I've had a little meltdown. That said, um, I've been really selective in how much I've talked about the difficult times with my family and friends back home, just because then you're not keeping the relationship, you're just calling home to complain, mm. and you're using them to feel connected. And so it's literally just trying to have that bridge to normalcy. Well, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'll be like this morning, I made an Ikea desk that you're sitting on right now in the iPad. <laughs> um, I made a desk and I, you know, cleaned up my kitchen while I was on Skype with my brother who was making breakfast for his son. And we're just kind of chatting like we would if we were in the same kitchen. And that really helps. That concludes this episode of The Expats. We're nearing the end of this show's run, so if you'd like to reach out and share your thoughts about how listening in on Canadians Living Abroad has affected you, email me at info at expatspodcast.ca. I've been your host, Adam Rosenhart, and I'd love to hear from you. You can also leave a comment on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for Expats Podcast. The Expats is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. If you're looking for a playlist where you can sample other great Alberta Podcast Network shows, visit gradio.ca. And if you happen to be a fan of terrific, listener-supported community radio in Alberta, just like me, you should download the CKUA app where you'll be able to access all Alberta Podcast Network shows directly. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks.